What's shaking, my friends? Welcome to my podcast. I am the Trembling EMT, and this is my Parkinson's journey. What's shaking, my friends? Welcome to the Trembling EMT podcast live on WHRFM First Praise. Um, I am super excited. I am shaking, shaking in my uh, seat. We have uh, my first in-studio guest. Is uh, I've talked to him about. I've talked about him a lot recently. Coach P. Ooh, Lauren just came on. She's watching. Oh, she did. Uh, nice. She signed Hi, on. Lauren. Um. So yeah, so Coach P, Mister Patrick, which I've never gotten your last name. Uh, it's Kildoff. Kildoff. Yes. Patrick is a girl. Kildoff. So this is gonna be a fun-filled episode. We've been ranting for the past forty minutes. Oh yeah. So we're gonna rant even more. So introduce yourself. Um, give me your background and. We'll go from there. Of course, man. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, first time I'm on a podcast, too, so first time for both of us. But uh, really honored to be here and uh, share the world of PT and how it relates to Parkinson's disease and all that good stuff. So, good, uh, good, good. And it's also nice that we kind of know each other outside yeah. in a non-clinical setting, yeah. which is kind of cool. A little more relaxed. Yeah. But when are our sessions ever relaxed? I don't think ever. I mean, you getting to punch me is pretty awesome. Oh, uh, yeah. And we won't talk about you making me pay for... Uh... For missing that one class, <laughs> <laughs> all in good, all in good fun, all in good fun, sweating it out. But uh, yeah, so my name's Patrick Hilduff. I'm a physical therapist for uh, St. Luke's Physical Therapy uh, in uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I specifically work out of Phillipsburg, New Jersey, which is about I'd say 15, 20, 20 minutes, thirty minutes from uh, the Lehigh Valley. Uh, in my clinic specifically, we focus on neurologic disorders. Uh, you know, Parkinson's disease being a big one, uh, multiple sclerosis, stroke, balance, dizziness, uh, concussion. Basically, if it's a neurologic diagnosis, we see it. Uh, we also have occupational and speech therapy in our uh, department as well as pediatrics and orthopedics. So we have a very big facility, which we can cater to a lot of patients' needs, yes. which is really, really great. So um, how long have you been a th- physical therapist? How did you get involved in physical therapy? Like, yeah, so it's it's a you know it's a it's a job that I really love and am passionate about. Uh, I graduated from DeSales University in 2017. Shout out to all my bulldogs out there. <laughs> it's a great day. Um, but uh, you know, graduated in 2017, started working for St. Luke's in November of 2017, and I've been with them for the past two years, and I've had a really good experience thus far. How I got into it uh, out of high school, I was pretty into sports. I still am. I still try to exercise as much as possible. Uh, I thought I wanted to, uh, you know, work with athletes uh, in the orthopedic section, uh, but then I actually had a neuro rotation over at 8th Avenue in Bethlehem. Move the mic closer. Oh, am I too far away? Is that a little bit better? That's a little bit better. Okay, good. Usually I'm a loud talker, so I figured further away (laughs) would be better. But uh, my now boss, uh, Josh, was my clinical instructor. Uh, who's, you know, Josh, great yes. guy. Uh, Coach so he, Jay. Coach Jay, he, uh, he got me kind of into the whole neurologic side and I never knew, like I had heard of it, but I never knew that there was this avenue to help people. And, uh, that's what it comes down to is, you know, helping people and, uh, empowering people and making people's lives better and easier. Uh, and I was like, huh, you know, I'll keep this in the back of my mind. And then I went through school and graduated and this opportunity came up uh, to work for St. Luke's over in Phillipsburg for a neurospecific site. And I was like, you know, let's give this a try. I really, really like it. And since I've started the past two years, it's been a very rewarding uh, experience for me watching people who might not have the best outcomes or the best prognosis, uh, just being able to enrich their lives in, in that, those kind of ways uh, is a really, really uh, awesome job to have. And watching people grow and succeed in their own uh, specific battles that they face every day. Nice. Nice. And you you do a great job at it. Well, thank you, you, man. I appreciate that. Let me tell you. Um, so we we literally talked a lot. So where do you want to start? What a, I know you had some questions and yeah, man. Um, so first of all, before the podcast, we were talking about Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, to everybody. Yes, out happy there. Thanksgiving. Um, but you mentioned to me your family tradition for the past sixteen years. So I kind of wanted to go through your family tradition and how. You managed to go about your family tradition that may differ from some other people. So, I um my son was born in March fifth, two thousand and four, and I wanted to being a uh, just married for I was barely married for two years. Um, became a dad, so I was like, 
I want to start a family tradition, just started a family. So I was like, I want to do something that I can say, hey, my kids can save when they're in their 40s. This is our family tradition. We've been doing this for. So I rattled my brain for a couple months and then decided that I wanted to cook Thanksgiving dinner. Okay. And nice. um, my first year was very, was I, I got to say, it was it's been successful. But my first year was almost a disaster because <laughs> I, I was I really didn't know how to cook. Like I knew how to cook, but something to that scale wasn't in my in my wheelhouse. So I was working at Easton Hospital at the time, and the the unit secretary, a good friend of mine, I was like, "Hey, write write me how to cook the turkey." And and I literally said, "Write it down like I'm a five year old." <laughs> so she literally put thaw the chicken, clean the chicken, like literally step by step. So like Thanksgiving Day, I'm like doing my thing. I had the thing taped up on the wall and I'm looking at checking out. And then I'm doing a couple other things and I look over and I'm like, when do I take the turkey out? <laughs> like she and she had luck. Well, I was like, when do I take the turkey out? So I called her because she was at work. I was like, hey, Pat, when do I take the turkey out? And she's like, when'd you put it? And I for, I've forgotten what time I told her I'd put it in. But all I all I heard was like I literally said the time and I didn't even finish the time and she all she said was take it out take <laughs> it out take it out. Luckily she had told me to put it in a bag. Oh jeez, thankfully. Yeah, because if not I would have had burnt turkey my first year and it would have been good. Starting the tradition off right. <laughs> yeah, so I started. So that was my my only hiccup, or I've had a couple hiccups, but the past couple of years is the past two years has been a little bit more challenging with the with the tremors mm-hmm. and the 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 seasoning of the of the turkey and anything else because like when i go to when i do the go to the shaking motion like i freeze and it's the same hand like i can't i can do this but i can't i i yeah like i can't wave as much so lauren has taught me to do this Mm -hmm. to wave but and that's one of the things about physical therapy and about the big program I um they they customize it to what you need. Of course. So Lauren and Kelly was like, Hey, if you ever have any trouble with anything, just let us know, we'll incorporate it. So I said, I have problems seasoning stuff. And they're like, What do you mean? I'm like, like with the salt shaker and stuff like that, I can't function. Like I my hand freezes. She goes, Well, yeah, you said you had problems waving. It's the same moment. So she walks away and comes back and has a salt shaker. I was like, where did you find a salt shaker? First of all, she goes, I don't know. It's been sitting there forever. I don't think anyone uses it. So like my, my big program ended with me shaking salt into a cup, pouring it back in. I think that was the hardest part of that four weeks was just shaking, standing there literally in the middle of the physical, of the, of the facility, just shaking salt. Like I would break into a sweat, like my tremors would be even worse. But four weeks later, I was seasoning meat and seasoning food a lot better because they worked on it. And you'll we'll talk about this, but oh, yeah. I might be getting ahead of myself. They, whatever you're having trouble with is what you should focus on and exercise. Absolutely. So I had problems shaking salt. So I they made me shake salt for four weeks, four times four times a week for four weeks. And it worked. Yeah. And uh, that's what's so great about all of these programs, the big program, the power program, the rock steady program. And, and there's a bunch of other different types of treatments, which you've gone through all of them. Yeah. And, and I can tell because of, of how good you're doing with us. But um, what's nice about those programs is it's not only do, do those programs incorporate movements that generally patients with Parkinson's disease have trouble with, but there are functional daily component tasks where you, the patient, get to pick like, hey, I have troubles shaking a salt shaker or getting in and out of a booth at a diner or anything like that, getting out of a chair, which is one of them, but, you know, putting clothing on, buttoning things, all of these daily components that to someone like myself who doesn't have Parkinson's disease is, you know, I'm not even thinking about it, but that's what impacts quality of life and that's what helps people get better and more empowered in themselves. It's like, hey, I couldn't do this and now I can. I have a guide to help me through this trial 
But, uh, and like I said, there's many avenues. One avenue might work for you. One avenue might work for patient B. But as long as it accomplishes the patient's goal, that's what yes. that's what gets us, us physical therapists out of the bed in the morning. And that was one of the things that Lauren kept stressing was like, she's like anything mention it doesn't it doesn't have to be exercise related exactly. just mention anything and that's one of the things that people might not realize like oh i'm having trouble with this and might pass it off just when it comes to your doctor your physical therapist mention it anything or in everything because one they'll can teach or if not they can point to you in the in the direction because that's how i started occupational therapy because mm -hmm. i would have never i'm 41 years old i'm like why would i need occupational therapy because i can't pick up a spoon right and i have to wear safety glasses when i use a fork yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like and but because i mentioned it to one to i think lauren or kelly and they're like have you thought about occupational therapy and i'm like no and she goes and she explained it i was like and like once she said occupational therapy, I'm like, it made perfect sense, mm -hmm. but I would have mm -hmm. never thought about it. Yeah. And uh, we always encourage patients to go see an occupational and or a speech therapist, even all three disciplines, if they can swing it, because they're going to focus on many different tasks. You know, us as the PTs, we're going to focus on big global movements, you know, functional stuff, fall prevention, fall risk screening, you know, the big things that help keep you safe. But occupational therapy and speech therapy are just as important. I mean, the occupational therapists, uh, although I'm not, I am not one. I've seen them work. They focus on those fine motor coordination movements, with a lot of patients with Parkinson's disease have trouble with. Mm. Uh, your speech therapists, uh, they can work on not only projecting your voice louder, but also if there's any cognitive deficits, especially later on in the progression of the disease, they can help with, uh, you know, help uh, fixing anything with your cognition and memory strategies, word finding, all that stuff that you know honestly i take for granted a lot but it will really help with just a little bit of a tune-up and we were talking about projecting your voice and, and focusing on your speech and that that's super important as well and we try to incorporate you know hey when we're boxing or we're doing any of our exercises you know count with us you know if we're throwing combos you know one but really say it you know one really enunciate because yeah. that will help not only increase your speech, but also increase, you know, the amplitude and, and largeness of your movements as well. Yeah, and like I mentioned before, uh, for, um, before we started that, I'm anyone that knows me, have known me for more than five years. I mumble a lot and I stutter sometimes. And I've listened to the episodes or editing the episodes. I've learned, I've taught myself to enunciate more, and one speaks slower because I need to waste or fill two hours of time and <laughs> when you talk fast and mumble it goes by very quickly um and i that and that's how my first episode was like i had literally a table full of paperwork but because i wasn't speaking i didn't slow myself down and i was mumbling so i was talking too fast like my first episode literally is nine minutes long because i didn't i wasn't I wasn't uh, disciplined enough and I wasn't using the techniques to speak slower and speak mm -hmm. clearer. So now, like, I think I've gotten better just from doing this. And just once again, the thing that I had most problem with was the mumbling and the stuttering, yeah. which is part of the disease. So now I practice it more often and I'm getting better at it. Yeah, of course. And and even I've noticed it from when we started in August and then when we picked back up a couple of weeks ago, uh, you're, you're speaking a little bit better too. I mean, obviously I'm not a speech therapist, so I'm not trying yeah. to talk at it. No, neither am I, here. but I've, and one thing that we were talking about, the, you have to be able to notice, pay attention to your symptoms and also admit to your symptoms because that's the only way you can get better if you acknowledge what's going on and, you work at it and mm -hmm. it's there's nothing to be shamed about because that's it's part of you and the shame is if you don't do any if you notice it and don't do anything about it yeah of course and what's so you know incredibly fascinating but also disheartening for for patients with this disease is there's a lot that goes into it you know sometimes people have uh, a lot of motor symptoms sometimes the disease will show up with non-motor symptoms like sense of smell goes, uh, you know, their movements start to get a little bit slower, sleep issues, you know, just emotional changes. Like there's a lot of things that can mask the way that this diagnosis can be made. 
but it is it is very true and i think that the work that you do and not only your support groups and and this podcast uh but just empowering people to be like hey like you have this disease there's nothing really you can do about it you can take ownership of it and make it your own and i think that's very powerful for people to hear even for me i mean i'm inspired by you dude and i'm not just saying that because i'm on your podcast (laughs) but um no it's it's really awesome to see you come in with a big smile on your face ready to hit some pads every day yeah it's it's really nice and it's one of those things i saw a quote somewhere and i think i have it and it says play with the cards that you've been dealt but play to wit like yeah there's i gotta have the disease i can't do anything about it but what I can do is have a better quality of life. And the what we were talking about, the only person that's going to be able to manage that is me. Mm-hmm. And I um, I alluded to, I think, uh, towards the end of the show, of the uh, oh, yeah. Gary Friends, I'm the product, project manager of my body. I'm the one that has to, it's like you said, it's my house, it's my, yeah. and I have to build a foundation. And no one's going to do the work unless I put the work myself and get them to or motivate them to do the work that they need to do for me. Of course. And, uh, you know, a lot of times patients get a diagnosis, you know, it's not like just a common cold where it's like, hey, take this vitamin C and you'll get better. You know, Uh, a lot of times patients come to me and they'll say, hey, do I have Parkinson's disease? And I'll say, well, I'm not a neurologist, so I can't technically diagnose you with it. Do you present with some of the signs and symptoms typically with this disease? Yes, but that's when we encourage you to go see the neurologist. And I think, you know, the old phrase knowledge is power is super true. But, you know, you have to take ownership and and being the project manager of your body is super duper important. We were talking earlier and I know you mentioned it at the end of your last show with having your team, your medical team around you is is invaluable. And having that communication between everyone is is super duper important. Yes. And um. I'm working on getting a doing an interview with uh, Julia Wood. She's a speech therapist out okay. of UPenn, but she does a she did a presentation for um, for the Finney, Davis Finney Foundation mm-hmm. at the summit, and yeah. it's literally building your dream team. And the the literally the subtitle is "It Takes a Village." Yeah, and not only having different disciplines or managing, but also talking having them talk to each other and communicating like i have sent many messages to lauren to you or vice versa and like i I was telling you before the um, the first time it happened i was floored because it's supposed to work like that but i didn't realize how smoothly it works when you have your so i was at the end of my occupational therapy I think a week or two, I had a week left and I was like, I want to start taking physical therapy again. And I looked uh one of the Heathers and she's like, what, uh, what do you need me to do? I said, what do you want me to do? I said, can you message good cop and bad cop and tell them that I want to start physical therapy? And she's like, okay. She's like, you need anything else? I said, I might need a script. She goes, okay. And I thought I'd hear it was Thursday night at six o'clock, actually almost seven o'clock. Cause I, my, my appointment was at six. So this was towards the end of my routine. Friday morning, um I don't even know where I was Friday morning. I get a phone call from the Palmer office and it was my favorite my favorite person there and she's like, Hey, I hear you wanna get start physical therapy. I was like, Yeah. Like I it was my idea and I was like confused why she was calling me. And I was like, but I need a script. She goes, she hear the type, the keyboard. She goes, yeah, Dr. Diaz phoned it in this morning. I was just like, holy cow. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's insane that you get when you work together and when you build the relationship, the care that you get. And not to say the care wasn't phenomenal before. Like, like I've, I've been fortunate to have an awesome team. And they've been phenomenal from the get-go, but now they're phenomenal together. And it's and it's only benefited me greatly because I, I want to get better and I want to live a good life. And if I don't advocate it for myself, no one else is. Yeah. And, and like I said, it, it takes a lot of, you know, there's a lot of processing when we get the diagnosis and stuff like that. But uh, what's really nice about our system and uh, – 
just being able to communicate with everybody is, you know, me, me as the PT and, and all of your other therapists in the past, we get 45 minutes to an hour with our patients, which is huge. You know, the, the medical professionals, uh, the, the neurologists, the PCPs, the cardiologists, they have a busy schedule. And, and I think they did a research study a couple of years ago. It was like, you only really get to spend, you know, one-on-one -on -one time with one, some of those healthcare providers for like six to eight minutes. Yeah. So it's basically, you know, here's what we're doing. Let's adjust your meds this way. Let's try this. Let's try that. And then you're done. But why I love my job is like I'm a people person. So I love to – I could talk – I'm sad we only have two hours on here. <laughs> but um, the fact that, you know, I could spend 45 minutes to an hour with you and the other uh, classmates in the Rocksteady class, and we can say like, hey, how are you today? Like what are your, what are your symptoms? Have they been fluctuating? Um, and then, you know, we'll have some patients that say, hey, I woke up and, you know, I was having some bowel bladder issues or I was having, you know, I'm having trouble sleeping. And that's where we as the PTs with your medical care team can shoot a message over to your referring provider and say, uh, hey, you know, Eric told me X, Y, and Z. Uh, is there anything we can do about that? So that way everybody's in the know. And, yeah. and that's what's nice about having everyone under the same roof since all of your doctors are St. Luke's, all the doctors can communicate with each other. Now, I'm not saying other healthcare providers don't do that, and I'm sure that there's some no. sort of network with other patients that have that advantage, but it's just nice for me, the PT, to shoot a quick message, say, you know, hey, Dr. Diaz, Eric told me X, Y, and Z, and we can, you know, adjust things from and there. And that's literally how it works. Lauren has done many of times. I think Josh has done it. And it's, and it's like you said, other, it's, not that other hospitals don't speak to other hospitals, but it's a lot easier for the for the medical staff to just pull up one chart and not have to go and submit paperwork to get other medical information. Mm -hmm. It's already there. Not to get on a side note, I actually had that happen to the benefit of that one time, and this was my own fault. I had a my regular primary doctor an appointment at nine. I had a doctor appointment with my pulmonologist around four. I had time to kill before then. I went out to lunch with my wife, did a couple errands. So went to the morning morning doctor. My blood pressure was like 138 over 96. Okay. Fairly, for me, yeah. fairly normal. <clears throat> did my errands, went to lunch, went to my pulmonologist. They took my blood pressure. It was 160 Holy moly. over 98. And I think somewhere around there, I think it was it was a lot higher than the morning to the point where she's like, there's something wrong. You have high blood pressure. You need a cardiologist. Like, she was going crazy. I was like, first of all, I already have a cardiologist. And he'll tell you that I don't have high blood pressure. She's like, but look at the, And we went back and forth for like a good 10 minutes. And I was like, wait a minute. I had an appointment this morning. Check your records. And literally, two clicks. She was just like, oh, your blood pressure was normal. She's like, "What'd you What'd you do today?" And I said, "Oh, I went to this. I went to the mall. I went to um, Lehigh Valley Mall. I went." Uh, and she's like, "What'd you do?" I was like, "Well, I kind of went out for lunch. Had a martini or two. There it is." <laughs> she's like, "Why would you drink before a doctor's appointment?" I was like, "I don't know, <laughs> but if it wasn't because I was in the same hospital system with all my providers." She would have probably put me on blood pressure medication yeah. for for something that clearly I did wrong. But and it's like I can go on and on about the benefits of having the same and I'm not saying everyone needs to switch to Luke's. I'm just saying everyone needs to switch to one hospital system. Just cause the management the communication will be ten times better. Yes. And to go back off of your point to be your own advocate. And let's say that that option isn't possible. You say, you know, you have an appointment with your neurologist and your PCP is out in a different network or a private practice or whatever. You call them up and say, hey, I just went to my neurologist. Here's the updates. So even though the doctor might say, okay, great. Thank you very much. That way you don't necessarily need to go into the hot, like and all back. And yeah. Forth. And that's a great point. Cause literally I've, I've, I've suggested people that to people saying, hey, they give you a summary at the end of every visit. Oh, yeah. Literally turn around and said, hey, can you fax this to this number for me? And then that's it. You're the one You're the one sending it over. There's no paperwork to fill out. And the doctor has it. So the next visit, they just have to literally 
pull that fax out of your chart and be like, all right, this is what happened. All right. Mm-hmm. Are you good with that? Do you need anything? And that's and that's how it should work. Yeah. Uh, having a, a strong medical team around you and, and obviously being your own advocate. I, I, I try to tell every one of my patients, Parkinson's disease or not, like everyone sees, you know, doctors throughout their their life and it's really important that yeah. everyone's talking to each other because there's one and i try and i'm not trying to get into a medication thing um i'm not a pharmacist again so i'm not going to try to recommend medication but there's research study it's called polypharmacy that's the term where patients if they're prescribed four or more medications it doesn't matter what the medications are there's like a 60 to 70 percent chance that one of those medications will counteract each other yeah so that's why you know it's really important to the whole t- t- the reason I said that was just to be have one everything under one roof, yeah, or the and, best you can. And it's and that's important because like when I'm on the ambulance, I'll ask for people the medication, and they're like, "Oh, they already have it." I said, "Yeah, they had it from the last time you were there, guaranteed from the last time you went to the doctor visit. Either you saw one doctor or two doctors, and they might have changed something without the other one knowing. So if you." If I get the information and pass it on every single time, there's likelihood of someone catching something like you said. Mm-hmm. So it's and it's all about communication. And especially for you, you know, you don't want to have a medication that inter- that interacts with your your Parkinson's medications because no. that's going to impact your function in a negative way. Oh yeah. And then wondering uh, complaining I'll start complaining that I have off times and it's not that I have off times, it's just that well there'll be off times but not because the medication's not working, it's cuz I'm counterbalancing mm-hmm. it. So yeah. Um, all right. I am going to take a quick break, regroup, come back with more fun stuff. Stand by. Let's, let me pull up the questions. Oh, sure. Question and answer time. Question and answer time. Which will probably turn into question and tangent time. Yeah. But that's okay. Um, why is exercise so important? Let's go to the big one. Why is exercise so important? Well, it's twofold. No, yes, please. Why is exercise important in general and then to a Parkinson's patient? Okay. So I actually kind of want to turn this back around on you. So I would like to know what your relationship was with exercise prior to being diagnosed and then after being diagnosed and how you have your change, your, like your opinion of it and how you view exercise has changed. So funny you should ask that that way. Before I got, or the year I got diagnosed with Parkinson's was the year that, or so before I got diagnosed with Parkinson's, my exercise routine involved walking a lot. I, um, I did the Avon breast cancer walk, 39 mile walk for breast cancer. So every year in October, I'd go to New York and spend a weekend in October and camp out in October in New York. I started Pier 84 or 82, walk 26 miles the first day. Holy moly. End up in Randall's Island. I tent in Randall's Island. Oh, jeez. And then walk 13 miles back through New York to to the pier. That's a lot of walking, man. That's a lot Are of walking. Are you carrying your stuff with you, too, like your tent gear and stuff? No, like all you have. So the first couple of years, I did it without anything. Then the last four or five years... I did it with the fireman's helmet and the suit. Nice. But other than that, you have like your water bottles and 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 whatever, like snacks, fanny packs. But so I would walk. Like I would walk. Like I had calves that would make Olympic runners jealous. <laughs> like seriously. My wife would make fun of me all the time. So I had that. That was my only type of exercise. And I, w- I was always the... Uh, the person that would sign up for a gym membership, use it for three months, and use it ineffectively, ineffectively, and then stop using it. So, like, I, I wasn't far into the exercise world, just wasn't effective at the time. And then now I'm more, I'm more, even more of an advocate. Like, I created a foundation around exercise, but I'm more more it's when i exercise it's more functional it's more more beneficial than when i did it before Mm -hmm. and there's like intention behind it yes there's intention behind it and there's and there's motivation and now i can see the results better like when i walked and when i exercised 
I really didn't see anything because I wasn't doing it for a specific reason. I was just doing it to either lose weight or just not die in the walk <laughs> while I was, <laughs> was walking 39 miles. And um, funny story, going on a tangent. The first year that I started seeing Kelly and Lauren, good cop and bad cop, I um, I kept telling them, hey, I'm doing this walk, blah, blah, blah 39 miles. And they didn't quite grasp the the what I was doing because when I came back that the second to last time I did the walk I was one is when the symptoms started so I guess my muscles or my body wasn't as fit as it was previous years so it oh it was brutal it was the most painful walk I did and I was just like my hips hurt my legs hurt like I was. I didn't finish the 39 miles that year. One of the few, I think out of the 10 years, I think I went three years without completing it. The first two and the last one that I walked. Cause then I did one year. The last year I, the walk was around, I volunteered. But so when I came back, they were like, they're like, I'm like, I'm in pain. I'm hurt. And they're like, what'd you do? I'm like, I walked 39 miles. <laughs> and they're like, wait, you did what? I said, I've been talking about this for months. So the running joke is, they let me walk 39 <laughs> miles. And I always threaten them when they when you guys do the questionnaire. At the yeah, end, yeah, yeah. I'm like, where can I pencil in that you guys let me do 39 That's miles so in my funny. condition? Yeah. But, yeah, so, like, yeah, it's more in my exercises are more focused, more in, more in, intensive. And, yeah, more intense. But they're more focused and specific to what I need. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't need to bench press. 150 pounds every single time because that's not going to be beneficial. Mm -hmm. What I need to do is agility exercises to be more, not to be more agile, to be normal. Mm -hmm. So they're more, they're more beneficial. Yeah. And there's a lot of theories as to why exercise helps. Uh, The biggest thing that, that we like to focus on, especially in the boxing, which you know, because of how sweaty you guys get (laughs) is, well, let's let's backtrack a little bit. So the reason that exercise is so so important is because uh, it helps increase your heart rate. Obviously, yes. There's been research that shows benefits that aerobic exercise, high intensity aerobic exercise, at about eighty to eighty five percent of your heart rate max, uh, your theoretical heart rate max. And I'll go into that formula in a second. But eighty to eighty five percent of that is considered like neuroprotective. So what that means is is it will help protect any remaining dopamine uh producing neurons you have in your brain as well as just improve your overall function i mean i'm gonna tell you whether you have parkinson's disease or not to exercise because it's important you know our bodies are meant to move uh you know you either use it or you lose it kind of deal but the fact that it is more targeted toward maintaining function and focusing on you know those functional activities like you said like why would i have a patient with parkinson's disease be doing bench press when i can have them doing higher interval circuit trainings of sit to stands and speed ladders and all the stuff that we do in our boxing class which is not only a different type of exercise and focusing on different types of functional strength but it's also it's it's fun yeah and it's also working on your balance your walking and it's it's it is intentional and it also there's research that shows uh doing exercises that is important to the patient or salient to the patient. So you want to do activities that, you know, some people might love boxing. You hit like a son of a gun. So <laughs> I, I like you like to box. Yeah. There are some patients who don't like to box and you know what? That's okay. But we as the PTs and as the healthcare team need to find something that you are interested in. For example, there's a lot of research out there about tango. Think about dancing for a second. Think about all of the components that you have to do while you dance. Yeah. You're holding on to a partner, which is, you know, you have a little bit of support for balance, but you have to memorize all these steps. And that's a really high component and demand for your balance, yeah. and especially for your postural reactions. You're stepping forwards, stepping backwards, back. side to side. Mm-hmm. You're turning and spinning. So a lot of, pa- of a lot of my patients, some of their goals are, hey, I want to dance with my significant other. So we work on dancing. I mean, they might not be holding me like a waltz, but, you know, we'll put the speed ladder out and say, hey, let's do these types of steps. I'll ask them, what type of dancing do you like to do? Uh, Another good one is Tai Chi. You know, Tai Chi might not get your heart rate up, but a lot of the arm movements and weight shifting and making sure you make your movements as big as possible. That's 
really beneficial for patients who might be a higher fall risk or might not have the cardiovascular capacity to do the high intense exercise, but it will still get them doing something, which is really important. And again, I don't care as a PT what you do as long as you do something because they, they say the phrase exercise is medicine and it's, it's so important to, it's like a pill, you know what I mean? So like all of my patients with Parkinson's disease take their cinnamon or whatever they're prescribed every single day exercise is just as important the guidelines say for high intensity exercise three times a week uh or 180 minutes you know whatever whatever you get to at that point um is is what they recommend and high intensity so like we do with the boxing i'm sure if we put a heart rate monitor on you oh. you'd be at that 80 to 85 yeah i extra uh, extra new fitbit for christmas there so you go that we'll have to we'll have to see that's one way to measure it but and then again just to reiterate the importance for it is that it is for the patient I'm not going to make a patient do something they don't want to do, but I do want them to exercise. Yeah. So I've got some people who used to be, uh, they're vets. So they want to do army type stuff. So I'll have them do army stuff. We have a weighted vest. I think I put the weighted vest on you one time. Did I put the weighted vest no, on you? No, not yet. You, not yet? You said you were. I think I, I think I threatened you the one day yeah. you missed class. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, I'm sure there was an extenuating circumstance. <laughs> I'm not that mean, I promise. No. But, um, no, so anything to that'll get the patient to, to you know to buy into exercise because if you think about it, and that's why I asked your relationship with exercise. I have some patients who are used to exercising, and exercising to help improve their function is really really easy for them. But then I have a lot of patients who are sedentary their entire life, and I need to be kind of an exercise salesman and say, hey, yeah, this will help you. I know it's not going to be fun, maybe you know it might not be fun for you initially, but I promise it will help with your functions and. If you can buy into that and you see the results, yes. which you've mentioned, that's what's the most and that's, important. That's the the easy and the hard thing about exercise. That when if you see the results, you're you're buying. But if you don't see the results, you kind of get discouraged and you don't go back. And that's why people buy buy the mem- They have good intentions when they sign up for gym memberships, but they don't see results, so they don't go back as often. Um, and one thing is they have to be know why they're why they're exercising mm-hmm. and pay attention to those those results because I had that and now I had been I've been like I, I don't know if I have said it on I said it to now on air but I've been going to Luke's physical therapy since 2016 and every time I've gone I've seen results almost instantaneously I did the power back in July. Actually, during April, maybe April or May, and it's um it's yoga focused, or it's called Parkinson's Wellness Recovery. You got it. And it's yoga for Parkinson's. I I was going there for three weeks with good cop and bad cop, and I was just like, I'm not getting anything out of this. Like I I thought it was, I thought it was useless. Like. But I had I had faith in them, so I was like, I'm not gonna like say I'm not gonna come. So I continued doing it. I was like, I'm. I and at the time I was gearing up for the Adirondacks to do one of the 46 peaks, and I'm halfway up the mountain, and all of a sudden I go to do a lunge to go from one rock to the other, and I stretch like I was like I was you, and I was just like. Like I literally stopped in the in the pose and I was just like, "What just like I so thought I was gonna face plant, but I reached I, my leg reached and I climbed up and I was just like, "Oh, that's what I've been doing for the past four months." There it is. And then then it clicked. So, and I I knew I was getting benefit, but when that's why I say, if you do it folk or now my relationship with exercise is better because I see the results because. I'm looking for the results, and I know where where I should see the results. Mm-hmm. And there's a big, uh, especially when we introduce exercise, a lot of the and the big push now in in Parkinson's disease research is getting diagnosed as early as possible. And it's so difficult for a lot of yes. patients. Um, obviously, your case is a little unique because you were diagnosed at such a young age. But a majority of the patients that are diagnosed are over the age of seventy. Yeah. And when they're diagnosed, there's usually you know they've they've probably had the disease 
you know, progressing for about two to three years prior to that, just because a lot of the symptoms of Parkinson's disease just manifest normal, healthy aging sometimes. So far, all the people that I've encountered can, at at a minimum, about half of them have trace power when they put the whole iceberg or when they look at the whole iceberg, as I call it, they can trace back the symptoms to 10 years prior to them getting the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And that's 10 years of lost time that they could have gotten the, not that they weren't living a bad quality of life, but they could have started living a better quality of life because they would have known that the sleep problems was because of the Parkinson's, not because of their schedule or because they needed to do this or needed to do that. Like I suffered through night sweats for years and I just like never, I just thought that was just me. And, but I stopped taking, I started taking my medication. Night sweats stopped. And I was just like, Oh, like I could have gotten better. Not that I sleep well now, but I could have gotten better sleep back then because of the night sweats. And like I'd wake up drenched, and it was just like, "What is wrong with me?" Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely it's just so tough to delineate those symptoms. And yeah, what we try to do in in our clinic and in a lot of other clinics that I've heard is is trying to do some sort of screening. You know, just looking at a patient, not just, "Oh, my patient's here for balance." Okay, we can definitely treat that. But let's look at the entire patient, not just one specific aspect. Like I know, like while I was in PT school and doing my rotations, some of my CIs would be like, hey, you're working with an ankle patient. So let's really focus on the ankle and maybe just the leg. But there's so much more that goes into it. You got to look at posture. You got to look at how they're walking. There's so many different factors. And that goes along with any patient that walks into a neurologic clinic or any clinic in general, looking at the entire patient and saying, okay, so this is what you are in front of me. I'm not just going to treat your leg weakness. I want to treat you from head to toe, and I want to be looking for some things that might yes. be contributing to this weakness. And it's our and it's in the your your patient assessment mm-hmm. is part of that. And I I actually the other day I had the same I had this person who came to me for nosebleed, and I was like, all right, here. I gave her an ice pack, and this I gave her an ice pack. She's like, oh, can I get an ice pack? And I'm like, and I thought she was going to put it on her nose. And I turn and she has it on the back of her neck. I'm like, like, why do you have it on the back of your neck? She's like, oh, I always get hot when I get nosebleeds. I'm like, have you ever checked your blood pressure when you had a nosebleed? She goes, no. And at first she gave me a weird look because I said blood pressure. I said, I want to check your blood pressure. And her face got even, her eyes got even wider. So I check her blood pressure. It was through the roof. She goes, um, I used to have a blood blood pressure issue. I'm like, what do you mean used to? She goes, well, I had high blood pressure and they and it got normal, so they took me off of the medication, and I haven't had an issue since. I said, yeah, you've had you've had nosebleeds since. And she goes, yeah, but they, they didn't say that was correlating. I was like, did you mention that mm. you were? And she's like, no, not really. I said, that's why. Yeah. But because I was looking at the whole picture and I was like. And the minute I said it, I was like, you have high blood pressure. And she looked at me funny, like, how did you know that? I'm like, I didn't know. I just knew that one of the symptoms of high blood pressure is nosebleeds. And I just putting two and two together. So Yeah, and, and that was good on you to look at the whole person in front of you. But I think a lot of our, as a PT and any other healthcare professional, you know, we're so driven, you know, we, we have to get our notes done. We have to see the next patient. But... Really, Make sure let, your billables are in. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be productive. No, I'm just kidding. But um, taking the time to just listen to the patient's story, and if you hear something, you know, go down a little rabbit hole. You yeah. you know, since we as PTs have a little extra time, you know, you've been through one of my assessments. I'm I'm pretty thorough, but we get we get through things pretty quick because obviously you're very functional, but yeah. also. You know, I we I try to allow myself a little bit more time to listen to what the patient has to say because I might go through. You know, I have general questions. You have falls. You know, uh, is there anything that's bothering you? Numbness, tingling, all of like the the baseline stuff. But then when you, the patient, want to go in and ask some questions or dive into some stuff, then I can carve my own path into where we want to go, and yeah. that may lead to you know, us saying, hey, maybe, you know, here's a here's a doctor that we might want you to see, you know, you saying you're having issues with your bowel and bladder, let's go talk to the urologist, you know, 
sleep problems, you know, what we were mentioning earlier, GI issues. One of the early signs of Parkinson's disease uh, is actually decrease in smell from just out of nowhere. No history yeah. of head trauma, anything like that, and, and gut issues. That's how they, some of how the current research is trending for ways yeah, to they, early diagnose it. There's a big push on uh, the gut bio and doing research in the stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, man, I was going to say something. Oh, because one thing that you're speaking or you're talking about being open and listening to the the whole or looking at the big picture. Like I've had doctors mention, like I had one doctor, I went for my ankle and my knee was bothering me and it was an ortho person. So I was like, Hey, my knees. And he, he literally said to me, I just do feet. I don't do, I'm like, can you just prescribe something for me? Like you took anatomy, like you, the it's connected literally connected to my knees literally connected to my ankle the hip bones connected to the knee <laughs> bone that song is true <laughs> yeah and then he's like well if i had to guess it's this this and this we'll do this this and this i was like see that how easy was that like it's like granted i know he's not going to be able to diagnose but like once i made him look at the knee and give me his educated opinion he talked for another 10 minutes yeah and i'm like oh i thought tr- yeah, I thought you were an knee guy. I was like, but, but once again, that was me being an advocate for myself. Mm-hmm. And it's he's a good doctor. I'm not saying he's a bad doctor. It's just you get fo- doctors and their specialties get focused on their specialty because that's what they do and that's why you're going to them. So, but it doesn't mean you can't mention something or ask them a question that they might be able to refer you to someone else. Mm-hmm. And communication is key with anyone on your medical team because that's the way you're going to solve things. And if you don't talk to anyone about it, nobody's going to fix it. And of course, and, and like I said, I specialize in neurologic PT, but if you think about it, every person's got a brain, every person has a heart, every person has bones, every person has muscles. So I'm not saying you have to be a specialist in one area, but every patient is a musculoskeletal patient, a cardiovascular patient, a neurologic patient. Everyone has those symptoms. So you have to, at least examine or inquire about everything so that and you can in your case you back. have to know that that one they have the heart to do the the thing or they have the bone structure or the bone density to, mm-hmm. to do so you're you have to listen you're forced to listen to all the aspects which makes physical and that's the one thing I'm gonna go on my soapbox for the, the longest Here, time I'll put it down for you yeah so <laughs> We have, and if anyone from Luke's is listening, I've sent, I've, I've emailed or I've sent my complaints to the Epic team. <laughs> so we have this app and it's a wonderful app. It's great. It shows you the test results, this and that, and it, you can ask questions and this and that. I can email everyone on my medical team except for my physical therapist. Huh. We got to look into that. Now, I hate. I know myself have more questions for my physical therapist than I ever do for any of my other doctors because you, not that you don't have follows, but the one department that gives you homework is the one department that you can't call up and say, Hey, I'm having trouble with my homework. Yeah. Well, that's the one thing. So I always hand out my business card and our business card has obviously our number and it has our email. Yeah. So, I mean, I know it might not be accessible through the app, but if anyone has any issues, look on the, look on the card. I get emails from patients all the time. I'm totally cool with answering. And I've answered emails for you before, so that's not an issue. But, and I didn't start grabbing cards because I'm like, oh, I have the app. Every time I go to a place, I have the app. And the one time I went to go message good cop and I was just like, she's not on the list. I was like, what the? And I've literally gone up to the the neuroscience and neuro, the administrator of neurosciences for St. Luke's. I literally emailed him and said, this is my issue. He was like, I can't help you with that, but I forwarded to the Epic team. I'm like, thank you. Yeah. And I haven't heard anything back, but yeah. I'm. Well, we'll, we'll do our best look into that for you. Epic is a. It's a very useful, but can be sometimes a very fickle tool. <laughs> but doesn't it make sense? The one department that gives you homework and you'll have, cause like I've gone home and I'm not the smartest person I know, but 
I'm like I understand things, and I've gone home and literally have Lauren has just explained something, and then I go home and I'm like, wait, it doesn't feel like I was doing it in the in the office. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'd be I went to go message her, and I'm like, yeah, this is not gonna work. Yeah. So then I found her email in one of the cards that she or that's, one of the paperwork that she emailed me, and well, I emailed perfect. her. Yeah. Yeah. And and we're pretty good about checking our emails, but uh. Again, with going back to the homework thing, I mean, obviously, if you go to your doctor, your homework's going to be eat right, exercise, all that stuff. But what what we try to do here and all of the therapists that I'm sure you work with is if you have a question, you know, we give out sheets that have all the exercises on them with yes. written directions. But try and make sure, like, not only you as the patient, but any other patients, ask your PT, like, hey, I need to review this. You gave me homework, which is great. Some people do it. Some people don't, which is the bane of our PT existence. <laughs> but... uh you know, because cause going to PT two days a week or three days a week is great, but it won't fix the entire problem. But and, for, I, and real quick, before for anyone that's listening that is in PT, even if they haven't told you, they know when you don't do your oh, homework. I've seen patients walk in with their tail between their legs, and I am ready. <laughs> I know the patients that I, that I want to ask because I get some patients who are gung-ho. They say their first day, they go, I want stuff to do at home. So I'm like, great, and I give it to them right away. But then there's some patients, they get that Charlie Brown song, the bloom, bloom, bloom. <laughs> And they come in with their tail between their legs, and I'm like, "So, did you do your homework?" Did you do your homework? And they're like, sheepishly, like, "No." So, so, but you know, and we just try and reinforce, you know, doing doing it at home. We're not, you know, your your parents or a te- well, we, we we teach, we try to instruct and educate, yeah. but we just want to see the best for our patients. Yeah. So, and ma- maintenance of it is. I didn't mean to cut you off. No. I'm sorry. Maintenance of that stuff is super duper important. So even when you're done with your stint of physical therapy, that doesn't necessarily mean the exercise stops. Yes. And correct me if I'm wrong, because then one other thing that I was, my own fault, I would, because the routine normally takes 45 minutes. So because I didn't have that 45 minutes, I wasn't doing nothing. And Lauren was like, well, do you have 15 minutes? I said, yeah. She goes, well, just do one routine. Mm Mm-hmm. When you have the first 15 minutes or in the next 10 minutes that you have available, do the next routine. And I was just like, that makes perfect sense. So you don't have to do the whole routine at one time. No, 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 no. Yeah, and that's and that's people's assumption. Once again, they don't talk to it because I literally said it and she asked me, did I do my – and I was – she said something. I said, I'm like, Lauren, I'll be honest. I didn't have the time. And she's like, you didn't have 15 minutes? I said, well, yeah, I had 15 minutes. I didn't have 45 minutes. She goes, so then just do one at a time. And I was just like, well, that makes perfect sense when mm-hmm. you say it out loud. Yeah. All right, we have 25 seconds before our next commercial break. Okay. We're going to – we still, we didn't talk about – We spent uh, almost an hour on one question. On one question. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we had – I have, let me see, one, two, three, four, five questions. And you have like – a table full of information. Yeah, we'll we'll get through it all. All right. We'll get through it we'll all. We'll be back. Well, folks, thank you for tuning in. This has been my podcast, My Parkinson's Journey. And as always, I am your host, the Trembling EMT. Stay strong. Keep moving forward.